to another edition of is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border And politicians build a new world order Minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn you went. Taking your right to self defense. They say you're safe, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and so very glad to have you along for the ride as we continue to watch our great republic uh, being torn apart by both foe and some who claim to be friends. Anyway, here we are. We're ready to go through another great broadcast. And uh, alas, I must begin by telling you that earlier today, I had an absolutely fantastic conversation with Ron Edwards. Uh, he is, of course, the purveyor of the Edwards Notebook and the host of the Ron Edwards American Experience. And uh, it's been a little while since we've been able to have that Sunday afternoon conversation his schedule and my schedule kept getting in the way, and so it had been about three weeks, and that gummit, uh, my audio system got kind of janky, so I was trying to piece together as much of that uh, audio as I could, and I, I've got 
um, pretty much all of his end of the conversation, but my end didn't turn out too good. And uh, in the process, I'm trying to put back something reasonable so that you guys can hear his content. And then I kept looking at the clock, and it just kept getting later and later. And at the end of the day, well, the end of the day was coming way too fast. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to hang on to that audio. I'm going to keep uh, working on it. And later this week, because most of what we discussed will definitely still hold true even up to that point, uh, I will bring you that conversation as best I can, even if I have to essentially kind of uh, walk you through what I was saying so that you hear his responses, because it was really a one of the better conversations we've had in a while, actually, you know, notwithstanding the fact that it's been a minute since we've been together. Uh, so very frustrating, and oh, my freaking fault. So again, uh, Ron was extremely generous with his time, and I will make sure that that audio gets on this show. It's just not going to be this particular broadcast. For those of you that have been waiting to hear me and Ron back together again, uh, I apologize for the delay. And you will get to hear that. I think we have uh, pretty much made a decision moving forward to do Friday Nights Live over at WCET and the Last Frequency. And, of course, also the Vera Network on TuneIn. Uh, so if you guys want to start uh, going to one of those platforms and listening in on Friday, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, you are cordially invited to join us either on the platforms, or uh, hopping into the uh, the uh, last frequency chat room that is set up over on MeWe.com. So you can pop into the chat room, listen live, be part of the show that way, uh, come hang out, help keep uh, Arizona Anti-Hero Company as... He's almost always in there uh, during the broadcast. But the upside there is, after talking with uh, Ron today, is there's a really good chance that most Fridays, at least during that first hour, he's going to pop in and join us. So uh, you'll get uh, a double dose on Fridays, if you're a listener uh, over on those platforms, of Ron Edwards uh, as he joins me in that first hour. And uh, I think that's a pretty strong commitment on his part for at least most of those Friday shows. Now, with all that housekeeping stuff up out of the way, what do you say we actually get to today's broadcast? First and foremost, I uh, came across this story on Friday, and I started thinking to myself, oh my goodness, somebody missed the memo, and Judge Loretta Priska is probably going to find herself on the Clinton's hit list. You see, Loretta Priska is a judge. A judge that said that the documents containing the identities of victims and alleged associates of the deceased didn't kill himself. Convicted, you know that guy, private island, private jet, pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein. These documents, they can be made public. Ooh, scary stuff. Now, this actually came out this past Friday. And uh, she said that several documents from the 2015 defamation trial against Epstein, the associate and convicted sex trafficker, Miss Maxwell, uh, could be unsealed as a matter of public interest. Hmm. 
And indeed, that is rather interesting. The judge's ruling will allow the names of several hmm, John Doe's to be revealed from a seven-year-old trial in which Epstein accuser Virginia Guilfrey had in fact sued Miss Maxwell for defamation. Priska said that a lot of the purported sensitive information included in the documents had already been made public. And since it had already been made public, well, what's the harm, right? Said that a lot of the purported sensitive information included in these documents through the sex trafficking trial was now in the public domain. So, under contention were the real names of John Doe number 12, number 28, number 97, uh, number 107, uh, 144, uh, 147, 171, and 183. In fact, Doe 183 got a temporary delay to allow that individual to appeal. <sighs> Does it concern anyone that there were so many Doe's, John Doe's, literally triple digits here? Anybody else concerned by that? Ah, maybe that's just me. Anyway, quoting here. That Doe's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein has been a subject of intent media coverage, and Doe 183's name has appeared in numerous places in unsealed portions of Miss Maxwell's criminal trial transcript. Again, this is according to Judge Priska. According to a report from Insider, quoting here, in the court's view, there's no reason to redact Doe 183 from the documents. The names that were revealed included several alleged associates and victims of Epstein, the disgraced financier who died in New York City jail back in August of 2019. Still didn't hang himself. Billionaire Hyatt Hotel. Billionaire Hyatt Hotel executive Tom Pritzker a cousin of Illinois Democrat Governor J.B. Pritzker, was one of the individuals named in the documents. He had hoped to keep his name sealed as he said it would harm his reputation. Uh, maybe you should have thought about that sooner. I don't know. I mean, according to pretty much everybody involved in and around the Epstein activities, you guys knew what he was doing. You knew. Nobody was that in the dark. And by the time some folks did find out, I think Donald Trump's reaction was probably the only one that was reasonable. He kicked him out of Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago was no longer a welcome place for Jeffrey Epstein once Trump knew what he was really about. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Miss Gulfrey had accused Epstein and Pritzker of having sex with her as part of Epstein's trafficking scheme. Pritzker, however, has denied the allegation. Pritzker's name was referenced in the documents during the deposition. It would appear 
Pritzker is just one of many people that are concerned. Emmy Taylor, who was once employed by Maxwell's personal trainer, uh, Emmy's name was also included in the sealed documents. She has contested the nature of her relationship with Maxwell and has said that she is innocent from any allegation of wrongdoing, which is pretty much what we would expect someone to say. Just, just pointed it out. One victim, Sarah Ransom, was also included in the documents while another's name was kept secret due to ongoing trauma. Another name that will remain sealed was described as a classic outsider by Pritzka. All the information from the unsealed documents will likely be made public sometime in the coming weeks. So I guess really what my question in regards to this debacle really circles back around to is how much of this is going to be new information? How much are we really going to get? How many of these names are the ones that we really want to know about? I mean, random financiers, random cousins of office holders, probably not the kind of people that really are going to harm the nation. And that's really the extent of my interest in this at this point. I know that each and every person that was involved around this is criminal and should face criminal charges based on what actually occurred. I do not, I do not offer any pretext of defense for anyone that actually engaged in criminal activity here. If it was to turn out that Donald Trump throwing Epstein out of uh, Mar-a-Lago was because he wasn't happy with the selection that was available on a particular trip, then I would also say Donald Trump needs to pay the price for such a thing. But from everything that I've seen and heard and all the reports that seem legitimate, it doesn't seem like that was what was going on as far as the Trump-Epstein relationship. In fact, several of the names that have been thrown around, the bigger names, we have, well, we just have an association where folks were trying to figure out what the whole nature of the relationship with other big names really were. My real concern, as far as the nation is concerned, is that ongoing relationship with the Clintons. And most of the Clinton criminal activity, I think, had way more to do with the less than reputable methods that Epstein used for fundraising. Based on uh, the majority of the information that has been revealed to this point, thanks to actual journalism, it would appear that Epstein was heavily involved in helping to create the Clinton Initiative. Funds that were used essentially become a slush fund that the Clintons have used as such. Now, you can make whatever arguments you want to about exactly what it was that Bill got up to on his many flights down to the, uh, the private island. But ultimately, Hillary probably committed more criminal activities with Epstein, and I 
think I'm pretty sure that they're almost all financial crimes. So that's literally an adjacent thing to what is going on in this particular trial. But ultimately, the public does have a right to know, not necessarily if you're just Joe Schmo that got caught up and uh, wrapped up in this because, well, you were involved in financing and dude needed to blackmail you for that. But if you are, in fact, someone who has been or perhaps even currently remains an elected office holder or part of the faceless bureaucracy that we've come to, to know as the deep state, then yeah, the public has a right to know about your level of corruption and whatever level of criminality took place. Are we going to learn any of that? Is this what Judge Loretta Kriska is going to reveal to the public? Or is this actually eh, a lot like what she said in the argument for not releasing these names, just a lot of information that's already been made public? Either way, it at the very least stands up as, you know, confirmation uh, yet again that uh, the behavior was real and these people were involved. Perhaps the criminal justice uh, system in our country will at least come one step closer to getting justice for those that were victimized by Jeffrey Epstein, both from the sex trafficking side of things and the financial side of things. Let's go ahead and take a little bit of a break. You guys stay right where you're at, and we will continue on the other side. Don't go anywhere. My name's Joe Biden. All men and women created by the go, you know the, you know the thing. <laughs> Joe Brandon, I agree. Yeah. I mean, he has made clear that uh, 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 I'm thanking you. No, no. I promise you, the president has a big stick. I keep forgetting I'm president. Leftist politicians have and continue to destroy our republic at every possible level. When I hear certain individuals saying that we should forgive them, it's cringeworthy. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, in a caustically naive or intentionally planted article in the leftist Atlantic by Brown University economists about their pandemic, brutal lockdowns, and the response that they demanded from we the people, amounted to the literal sacrifice of our exceptional nation way of life. Many sovereign Americans died cruel deaths because they allegedly were denied good solutions, like, for example, hydroxychloroquine, the same ingredient most members of Congress were provided. Mm. Many non-congressional patients were given rendisivir, which is known to destroy the liver, etc., 
Yet Emily Ulster, a Brown University economist, is calling for forgiveness of government officials and medical professionals who wanted everyone born in this country to receive the jab, while not requiring the illegal border crossers they let into the republic to get jabbed. The logical question is, how can officials be forgiven when they refuse to admit they were wrong and have not faced justice for what they have done to we the people? I'm Ron Edwards. Go to theronedwards.com to check out the Ron Edwards American Experience talk show. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. We're here today at the Whiskey House in the Gaslamp District of San Diego, where they hold the Guinness World Record for the most whiskeys in a bar, with over 3,700 whiskeys for you to choose from. In just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. We're also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. Hi. I'm my Patriot Supply. I provide gear and supplies for emergency situations. Hi, I am also a fellow Patriot. Whoa, what are you doing here? This is my commercial. Yeah, I just thought I'd join you since I pretty much do the same thing. Ah, uh, actually, we are very different, but I did notice that you use a similar name. Oh, yeah, thanks for that. See, we're the same. Like I was saying, we are an emergency supply company, and we've earned our reputation as a respected leader when it comes to preparedness, and self-reliance. Our meals are freshly produced and delivered right to your door. And they last up to 25 years. Oh, yeah, this is great stuff. You're still here, aren't you? Yep, mine is kind of the same. (sighs) Okay, so can you deliver quickly? Well, not everyone can deliver with lightning speed. What does it matter? In the end, you'll eventually have it. And it can feed your family in times like hurricanes, earthquakes, power outages, and... Oh, it's all very scary. But not quite as scary as your calorie count, right? For emergencies. People are desperate at that point. Exactly. That's when they need it the most. All of our meals are made with quality food and have 2,000 calories per day. Murder hornets are on the rise. This is serious. Everyone stay inside. Buy food storage. We don't use scare tactics. (laughs) We don't outsource. We take pride in the quality of our food. And we're there for you when you need us the most. You okay there, buddy? Okay. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. 
Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden's husband. Thank you. Thank you, George. Just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. forgetting I'm president. Somebody uh, helped Joe walk that dinosaur of his. After all, he's barely shuffling along on his own as it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much. Uh, I'd like to remind you that uh, the audio ads you are hearing, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you will see the links in the show description that will take you to various websites that will let you do your own homework on these items after the fact. And uh, some of the links uh, that I'm going to ask you to use, like through the My Patriot Supply, uh, if you use the link there, it will let them know that I sent you. Uh, if you're looking at Boone's Bourbon or some of the other ads in hour number two, uh, they'll just take you there, and it's not really going to matter much, but I do happen to own just a small equity stake in the company so you know it's not even enough that i'm legally required to let you know but i uh, want you to have full transparency and i really do like the boone's bourbon by the way uh i'm a fan of the flavor and i'm kind of really digging the tyler boone music scene too uh, anyway, uh, next up on our conversation topics list, Kevin McCarthy is trying to win over conservatives, or at least he's trying to win over me, by vowing to boot Ilhan Omar from committee assignments, you know, over the same anti-Semitic and anti-American remarks that she's made in the past and the Democrats were happy to ignore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, before you go too far down the, uh, hey, Tim, uh, McCarthy is the Republican leader. How can he how can he boot the Democrats from the committees? Well, we'll talk about that here in just a second. First, let's take a look at the article this time coming from The Blaze. In fact, I'm a fan of The Blaze. This one from Paul Saka. Uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy vowed to remove Representative Ilhan Omar from her committee assignment for her repeated anti-Semitic and anti-American remarks. McCarthy made this proclamation to remove Omar from her position on the Foreign Affairs Committee during a speech that he delivered this past Saturday 
at the Republican Jewish Coalition 2022 leadership meeting in lovely, beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is one case where I really, really hope that what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. I hope he follows through with this. McCarthy was talking to the audience there where he said, and I quote, we watch anti-Semitism grow, not just on our campuses, but we watch it grow in the halls of Congress. I remember what she said about me. I remember what she said about Israel. I remember what she said about the U.S.-Israeli relationship. I remembered it so much. I promised you last year that as Speaker... She will no longer be on foreign affairs, and I'm keeping that promise. Now, the crowd understandably cheered, as I would have been cheering too. In fact, this may be the first thing that Kevin McCarthy has said in a while that would have made me really excited about him. He doubled down on his promise in a tweet that he put it up a little bit later that said, quote, Last year, I promised that when I became a speaker, I would remove Representative Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee based on her repeated anti-Semitic and anti-American remarks. I'm keeping that promise. And he's also repeating that promise quite a bit. <laughs> anyway, Twitter attached a fact check to McCarthy's tweet and disputed his ability to remove Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. But you see, that's, that's a can of worms that Nancy Pelosi has opened up, much the same as what we have seen in the past. Democrats keep escalating their actions and, and changing the rules, and uh, then they have to face the same circumstances when they're no longer in charge. Uh, anyway, the fact check declared triumphantly, uh, although it's completely wrong, quote, the speaker does not have the power to remove a member from a standing committee. Foreign affairs is a standing committee. Each party has their own rules and procedures for assigning committee roles. Only a majority vote by the entire House could remove Representative Omar. See, in January, McCarthy first floated the idea of not only removing Omar from the committee, but also yanking Democrats Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, which, obviously, good idea, Adam Schiff, due to his total and complete utter lack of intelligence, and Eric Swalwell for doing the bang-bang with the fang-fang, if you'll so. Well, just forgive my crudeness, but uh, it's true, and it's kind of funny when you put it that way. <laughs> anyway, McCarthy had said then, back to quoting, the Democrats have created a new thing where they're picking and choosing who can be on committees. Never in the history of Congress have you had the majority tell the minority who can be on a committee. 
but this new standard which these Democrats have voted for. If Eric Swalwell cannot get a security clearance in the private sector, there is no reason why he should be given one to be on the Intel or Homeland Security. He will not be serving there. McCarthy will likely become the next Speaker of the House once Republicans take control in January. It's all but a certainty at this point. In March of 2018, Elhan Omar claimed that McCarthy's support for Israel was, quote, all about the Benjamins. And he, she didn't mean Benjamin Netanyahu either. Talking about dollar-dada bills, y'all, which is something that Omar does seem to know a little bit about. She also took shots at the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee and then-Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. She also accused American lawmakers who are pro-Israel, regardless of who they were, of having dual loyalty. Uh, you know what, Johan, I, I seem to recall at that point in time asking you about your dual loyalty because it seems as if you've been more concerned about advancing things uh, to do with your place of birth more so than the United States since you became a U.S. representative. Just a, just an observation. An accurate observation, but still, just an observation. Back in 2012, Omar claimed that Israel had, and I quote, hypnotized the world. Ooh, those scary Jews, they've got us all hypnotized. We got nothing. We got no way of standing up against those crazy, crazy Jews. <sighs> ben Shapiro, stop hypnotizing me. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is somewhat surprising and amazing at uh, the simple fact of how... Facts and actual information can change a reasonable thinking person's mind. I don't think that's being hypnotized, Elhan. I think that's being a reasonable, thoughtful person. Granted, you don't have a whole lot of experience in and around that type of person since you've not only become a member of the Democratic Party, but also one of the founding members of the squad. So clearly, rationale and facts and reality and, and even just being reasonable are all relatively foreign concepts to you. I get it. You've not been exposed to that school of thought, and it's okay. But Israel has not hypnotized anyone in the West. The Jewish people have not hypnotized anyone from the West, and the Jewish people are not an enemy to America or Americans. They stand looking to defend themselves from the hostility they're surrounded by. This much is well documented. There's no question. But for the fact checkers that are all worked up about who can remove somebody from a standing committee, uh, Nancy Pelosi opened that up last year when she was pulling certain 
representatives from the Republican Party that she didn't like. They were a little too Trumpy. Yeah, we talked about it then, and I still don't understand why it is that uh, the Republicans allowed that to happen. Why? Now, Nancy took it to this vote, and uh, there's enough people that can probably... In fact, the bottom line here is they most likely won't do it, but there's probably at least a dozen people that have a D at the end of their name that would like to see this move made. And it's not because she's a woman, because you remember Democrats can't define a woman. They don't know what a woman is. It's not because she's an immigrant. It's because she is, in fact, an anti-Semitic, anti-American hate monger that not only has no legitimate business being in the House of Representatives, but doesn't even do that great of a job of representing the district where she's from, but they're going to continue to vote for her because she looks a lot like they do. She's from one of those districts in Minnesota that is made up primarily of immigrants that tend to praise Allah as opposed to, you know, more traditional traditional American ideologies. Now, you can take that to mean whatever you would like to take it to mean. Some people are going to say, oh, look, there you are. That's not even coded. That's so racist. First of all, I mentioned a philosophy that utilizes some aspects of religion uh, that has nothing to do with a single race. In fact, I didn't even mention the fact that she does tend to be darker than a Caucasian, which happens to be the case, but that's not the problem here either. There were several Democrats that were rather miffed at Nancy Pelosi's lack of spine when she started to move forward, was supposed to do a censor, and then refused to do so. Nancy still opened this door. Kevin McCarthy is well within his rights now, according to the new rules that they established, to boot Schiff and, and Ilhan Omar and AOC. Although, to be honest, AOC says a lot of things that are dumb. I don't know that she said a whole lot of anti-Semitic things. She's kind of walked right up. She said some very racist things thinking she's defending uh, people of color and thinking that she's being anti-racist. But that just, again, shows that she's not the brightest crayon in the box. Uh, no one has accused her of that at any point that I'm aware of, and I don't believe they're likely to anytime soon. But if you've got an issue here, I think you're missing out on the most important part, and that is... At the very least, at this moment in time, in front of the right audience, Kevin McCarthy said a good thing. Now, again, I'll reiterate my quest that uh, what happens in Vegas not stay in Vegas. I hope you'll bring this back to D.C. And in particular, if he does, in fact, become Speaker, which, again, like I said, is uh, all but a certainty at this point. Uh, yeah. 
let's do it. I, I'm on board. I wouldn't mind if all of Congress got together and voted on just booting her out completely. Somebody that so openly hates Israel and hates Jews to the extent that she and Rashida Tlaib both do, I don't think there's much room for them representing people in any district, in any part of this country. There shouldn't be any room for it. There shouldn't be any tolerance of it. And yet, here we are. So, Kevin, on this one, you've got my blessing. Let's see if you've got the backbone and the stones to do it. All right. Now, one of the topics that I had talked with Ron about earlier today that, again, as part of that conversation that I'm still going to have to do a lot of audio work to try to bring to you, was the current situation going on in Arizona. The election that will not end, even though now they're trying to move forward with certifying when they're still not even done counting. Well, the latest, in case you haven't heard, the Arizona election that's still in doubt because the Attorney General of the state of Arizona is now demanding a full report on all of the crazy cornucopia of problems, particularly that occurred in Maricopa County. The uh, Arizona Attorney General's Office ordered Maricopa County officials to submit a report on its botched handling of the November 8th election that led to Democratic gubernatorial candidate Katie Hobbs' apparent victory over Republican Carrie Lake saying answers are needed before the election can be certified. So in a letter from the Election Integrity Unit of the Attorney General's office, a top official cited evidence of statutory violations, meaning they broke the law, in the contest in which Hobbs, who as Secretary of State oversees the elections in the state, overcame huge deficits in the polls. There were widespread malfunctions of voting machines in conservative areas of the state's most populous county, which, of course, became a national punchline as it took more than a week to tally votes. Quoting here, These complaints go beyond pure speculation but include first-hand witness accounts that raise concerns regarding Maricopa's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. Uh, this, written by Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright. This, of course, is part of a letter that was sent to Maricopa County's Chief Civil Division Attorney, Thomas Liddy. Wright requested very politely, very pleasantly, actually just very legally, requested a full report on how tabulator and printer malfunctions at some 60 Maricopa County voting locations were addressed on Election Day, as well as a copy of each voting location's official ballot report, including any discrepancies and explanations. The machines were tested the day before the election, and no problems were detected, something that was noted in Wright's letter. 
Lake, who led in some polls by double digits heading into the election, has expressed skepticism that it was conducted honestly, saying that, quote, Arizonans know BS when they see it. Her team has been gathering and tweeting testimonials of voters who say that they were turned away when they tried to vote, watched as their ballots were rendered defective or tabulated improperly, writes letters, cites potential legal violations in the way that poll workers handled ballots that could not be ingested into tabulators. There were widespread reports that those ballots were collected separately, though without proper security. Maricopa County appears to have filed, I'm sorry, Maricopa County appears to have failed to adhere to the statutory guidelines in segregating, counting, tabulating, tallying, and transporting the door three ballots. This is uh, directly quoting from Wright's letter as well. Also in that letter, quoting again, in fact, Maricopa County has admitted that in some voting locations, door three non-tabulated ballots were, well, they were commingled with tabulated ballots at the voting location, meaning they were treated as if they were normal and regular and as if they had already been counted so that it would just be lost in amongst the counted ballots. That way you get to say all the ballots are there, but you get away without actually having counted a bunch of them. Wright also cited a sworn statement from one election observer who said those non-tabulated votes were placed in duffel bags and possibly commingled with tabulated votes. The state of Arizona, of course, has yet to officially certify a winner, though that's supposed to occur at the beginning of next month. Wright said that the report must be submitted before election results can be properly certified. Back to quoting, Arizonans deserve a full report and accounting of the myriad of problems that occurred in relation to Maricopa County's administration of the 2022 general election. As the canvas is looming, and these issues relate to Maricopa County's ability to lawfully certify election results, the unit requests a response to the aforementioned issues on or before Maricopa County submits its official canvas to the Secretary of State, which must occur on or before November 28th of 2022. That is the law. So what does this really mean? Well, first and foremost, it means not just a national punchline, but an international punchline. Arizona has embarrassed itself. But that should be expected when you have incompetent people doing a particular job. Whether they're incompetent intentionally or incompetent simply by virtue of being incompetent, that's open to debate. That's not the point. 
whether it's intentional or not, clearly they're not capable of doing the job properly, so incompetence is still the correct word usage. This Arizona gubernatorial race stinks to high heaven. There is so much that raises questions. And you can call me an election denier if it makes you feel better. You can go on Twitter, you big bunch of leftist weenies, and say whatever you like to say. But ultimately, as an American, I have an unalienable right to my opinion. As a reasonably intelligent individual who simply paying attention to the facts on the ground, I have every right to question the results. Now, you may say, Tim, you live in Tennessee. Tim, what what dog do you have in the fight in Arizona? Corruption is corruption, wherever it may be. Now, whether this strange, unusual counting is a result of simple incompetence or full-blown corruption, that needs to be discovered. First and foremost, when you have the Secretary of State that is the opponent in this race, that should be grounds for somebody else to be stepping up. She should be recusing herself, especially since clearly she's not capable of doing the job properly, or at least this part of it. Now, if if I had a job where my day-to-day is I'm running an office and you know, I'm making sure that the various things that are being laid out from the governor's office is being carried out. And then once every couple of years, I'm required to oversee statewide elections. And uh, I'm really, really good at the day-to-day stuff, but I kind of suck at that once every two years thing. And I don't get better at it, given that I've done this a few times now, then obviously I'm not the person for that job. If I'm running for office and I'm looking during the primary race, running against others of my same party, and I refuse to debate them, that should make the voters question whether or not I have what it takes to be a governor. Because if I can't make the case of why, amongst my peers in the same party, I'm the one that deserves to move forward to the general election, then I don't deserve to move forward in the general election. When I still manage to win the primaries, and then I refuse to debate the general election challenger from the other party, and I make excuses for it because, oh, well, she's crazy. She's an election denier. She's a rampant Trumpian crazy person. Uh, I'm not even going to justify or dignify her circus over there by participating. No, you're running scared. That's something that she did from the beginning. Uh, Miss Hobbs ran scared and still managed to apparently get to this crazy little point where where a lot of the mainstream legacy media was calling this for Carrie Lake. Do you know why? Because we got to a point where Carrie Lake had the lead, and the remaining unreported precincts are typically heavy Republican. Meaning that at that point, 
it was more than reasonable to presume that anywhere from 75% or more of the votes to be tabulated were going to be for her. Remember, this is a lady that most of the state was very familiar with. She had been in their living rooms almost every evening. She was an anchor on a local Fox affiliate, and they loved her in the state. She won over the hearts and minds of a lot of folks in the state of Arizona when she declared that she would, in fact, as soon as she was elected and officially took office, declared a state of invasion, therefore utilizing state resources to supplement what the federal government should be doing. And even though we've had this happen before in Arizona, and the federal government tried to shut it down because Barack Obama was in charge at that time, well, that still doesn't mean that technically the state doesn't have every right to protect its borders and its citizens, especially when the federal government isn't living up to their responsibilities in that path. Part of the conversation that I had with Ron earlier that you will get to hear just not tonight. We talked about the fact of how this was different than in the Herschel Walker race, for example. Different than what we saw in a lot of these other races where the Republican had a lead going into the final few precincts left to be counted, but in those cases, those remaining areas to be counted were heavy Democratic areas filled with folks that are so dedicated that they're definitely running at least 70% of the blue no-matter-who crowd. And the rest just tend to vote with the Democrats regardless of what's going on, not because it's blue no-matter-who, but because that's how they roll in those neighborhoods. So when you see a Republican with the lead, but then you start seeing the count totals come in from those precincts, it's reasonable to believe that the Democrats can start catching up at that point because they are dominant in those precincts. That's not what happened in this Cary Lake race. So yes, something that's very, very fishy, something not quite right. Not really right at all. So I'm very glad to see that Cary is pursuing every legal avenue to challenge. I believe the numbers are still within that area that would require an automatic recall. Anyway, I don't think Carrie Lake wins in the recall, uh, not recall, but recount, only because the count that has been done, well, it's questionable at best, and you're still going to have the same ballots being counted over. Unless we can figure out what's actually fishy here, then the result's going to be the same, right? Now, I've always been amazed that uh, close, close uh, races, you'll go through a recount and that the numbers change somehow. How is it that the numbers change during a recount? Obviously, somebody didn't do the best of job to count. So this circles us back around to what's the issue here? Maricopa County in particular has become a bastion of 
leftist voting, and yet it's a fairly evenly mixed county. It's a situation where you should have very purplish results, but we don't really get that anymore. In fact, Arizona is a fairly purplish state that leans slightly red overall. That's not the results in elections that we've been getting. So why? Do we honestly believe that there's a high percentage of Republicans in a state that's not willing to go vote, especially when they know there's a high percentage of Democrats that are going to vote? And that literally some of these races, one or two votes might be all the difference in the world? I mean, I get it that some folks now are starting to think, well, it doesn't matter. In fact, that was the point that Ron kept making. Is it really didn't matter because the fix was in. You, he, he literally made the point, and again, you'll get to hear this. I don't want to take away from it, but he made the very good point, so I can't not share it with you now, that uh, when you see somebody who doesn't debate, doesn't go out and campaign, doesn't do a lot of interviews, that's usually because they're not worried about what the result's going to be. So either they know something in advance, or they're just not really wanting to win. One or the other. Obviously, Miss Hobbs wants to win. She expects to be sworn in as the next governor of the state of Arizona. So what was it that she knew that she felt comfortable saying, eh, I don't need to debate. I don't need to do interviews, even the friendly ones with the softballs. I don't need to do any of that. I'll just pretend like I'm avoiding the circus that is Carrie Lake, because those that was her words. Well, the real circus is this. And I would like to point out that there is another trend that seems to be continuing, whether we're talking about Hillary Clinton, whether we're talking about Joe Biden, or whether we're talking about uh, Ms. Hobbs. It seems as if, and, and John Fetterman puts the bill here too, it seems as if when it comes down to some of these Democratic candidates, the less you see them, the less you hear from them, the better they do. If that's not enough to make you question why you would vote for them, I don't know what's going to save you guys. All right, let's reset the hour, uh, mostly to keep Doug from killing me, because, uh, you know, he's oversees the rebroadcast over at WCET and over at the last frequency, and, of course, on the Vera Network on TuneIn.com. So you guys stay right where you're at. The hour number two will start right after this little break to reset. Don't go away. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man, told that unions saved the working class. He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when He couldn't say how He couldn't say why she was different in his eyes 
years and had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death They learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west They homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less We must be honest with each other And with ourselves Too much of what's happening in our country today Is not normal Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. go Brandon let's go in fact while we're at it let's get you right on out of DC baby let's just move right along all right well let's see here I got a a few more stories I want to get to today Uh, obviously one of those stories has a lot to do with the left absolutely losing its mind over the announcement Donald John Trump has officially had his excommunication from Twitter removed from the top guy himself, Mr. Elon Musk. Excuse me. Now, as you would imagine, the left immediately lost their minds. Even CBS News decided they were going to, they're going to, pause their tweeting out of an abundance of caution, like somehow Donald Trump being there was going to change stuff. Now, here's the thing. There for a bit, I was under the impression that he was already back, that he'd actually made a tweet that basically just said, uh, he's still going to be doing the truth social. This is just to acknowledge you. Thank you. Now, evidently, that was a spoof account. was not a real thing. Now... Facebook has already said, well, no, we're not lifting the ban now, and it's not time for us to reconsider, but we will reconsider it later. I don't think Donald Trump really cared about Facebook that much. Twitter was really his thing. He's got a contractual obligation to True Social. It's not just his social media platform. He does have partners and investors. But uh, for the folks over on Twitter, they're acting like it's some crazy big deal. (sighs) How could you say that when multiple 
blue check marks would just simply go over to Truth Social, copy his truths that he was posting, and uh, paste them over there on their uh, their own account, uh, claiming that this this is Donald Trump showing that he's crazy. I, I don't know why they're talking uh, like that, but uh, that's just it. But anyway, these leftists, they all were just so upset starting on Saturday afternoon after Musk had reinstated uh, Trump's Twitter account. Despite, of course, Trump saying multiple times that he would never use the platform again. The announcement, of course, from Musk came after more than 15 million people voted in a rather non-scientific poll that he posted to his Twitter account asking if Trump should be reinstated, and you had to know what that result was going to be. The results of the poll actually was much closer than I would have thought. Uh, it was 51.8% yes and 48.2% no. I'm guessing a lot of the 48% were the bots that were turned loose to say, no, you got to vote no too. Uh, like I said, anyway. Uh, the people have spoken. According to Elon, Trump will be reinstated. Uh, a lot of these folks really, really got miffed. Uh, folks were saying anything from the Russian bots have spoken to how many Americans must die and other ridiculous things. <sighs> Guys, if you don't like what's going on in Twitter, you can go elsewhere. You, you can just go. You don't have to stay. A lot of you have been threatening to leave. So leave. Go on. There are other places you can go hang out. It's not like you have to stay. The problem here is, especially the blue checkmark folks, they, they become addicted to Twitter almost as much as Trump was. They're, they're literally addicted. They can't walk away. CBS News proved that because they left Twitter out of an abundance of caution. And then they were back essentially just a few hours later. It's like, well, you know, the, our, our abundance of caution is done. We're, we're back on Twitter. Twitter is the town square in the digital market. We must have a presence to counter. Counter counter what exactly? If you're trying to counter Trump, you're going to have to go over to True Social. That's where he is. He's, at least for now, not coming back. Now, if things change, I really honestly believe that he would like to come back to Twitter. You know, you develop that fondness. You have a platform that you like and prefer. And I can't blame you once you get to that point. Why would you not? But at the same time, if if a platform has treated you a certain way, then then it's time to move on. There are other options. I even heard some of these leftist folks try to make the comment that uh, the truth social isn't doing that well. It's struggling. It's not doing well at all. And that's not what I'm seeing when I'm there. Truth social is doing very well. Now, it hasn't grown to the same extent that we saw Parler doing before they tried to, to crush it. But it's doing all right. 
Parlor's never come back to full strength, and now with Kanye taking over Parlor, which you know was something in the works, uh, I'm hoping he doesn't change anything there. But uh, Parlor is still a viable platform. There's still plenty of people there. I, I tend to like Clout Hub, especially now that uh, that they are. Uh, making it easier to use more characters. I was not a big fan of uh, them just cutting off your post. Uh, I much prefer them just do what Twitter does and what some of the other platforms do. And that is if you're over the uh, maximum number of characters allowed, uh, they'll just kind of give you the count of how far over you are. And you can either decide not to post it at all, or you can try to edit it down so that it'll fit, but the whole thing is still there for you to make that edit. I like that. That is a good thing. Uh, Clout Hub is working to improve that. If they would do that, they I probably would stay there most of the time. Uh, although, uh, MeWe is also very good. Uh, I'm a fan of MeWe, and... Uh, I'm really trying to help promote uh, locals now uh, as far as the Tap into the Truth community there. I hope you guys will come join me. Go to locals.com and then look for Tap into the Truth and uh, sign up. Because over there, although uh, I haven't been doing it much this weekend, I do share things there that I do not post on the other social media sites. I try to be active at least a little bit every day. Uh, on Facebook and Twitter and CloudHub and MeWe and Minds.com and even LinkedIn and, of course, uh, Spreely and Gab and uh, Truth Social and Getter. But over at the uh, locals, I share some stuff that I'm not posting on the others. And as the community grows and there's more of you, I will start doing a lot more personal interaction stuff, too. And we'll just kind of go from there. Anyway, uh, just come over and join it, and uh, there you go. The left's going to lose their mind, but they're not going anywhere. Twitter, Twitter is probably going to get a lot better, you know, as far as its current condition. Now, uh, on a much more important story... We've been noting for some time here that Christians around the world have been facing real persecution. And that persecution, once again, is on the rise in at least 18 countries of particular concern, at least according to a new report. Uh, this uh, persecution of Christians in at least these 18 countries throughout the world has been increasing according to this new report. Uh, the report titled Persecuted and Forgotten, a report on Christians oppressed for their faith 2020 through 2022, was released on November 16th by a Catholic group, Aid to the Church in Need. It examined human rights violations in 24 countries where the persecution of Christians is of particular concern, in quotation marks. And it revealed that the conditions in 18 of those countries have gotten worse, or at the very least slightly worse, for Christians. Uh, quoting here, 
Religious nationalism and authoritarianism intensified problems for the faithful, including the Taliban's return to power in Afghanistan, which prompted Christians and other minorities to attempt a desperate scramble to escape. In 18 countries, the 18 countries in question were mainly in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. They include China, Afghanistan, Turkey, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Mali, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Pakistan, Myanmar, Russia, North Korea, Vietnam, India, and Qatar. The results in this two-year period were compared with data from 2017 through 2019. So again, the predecessing two years. Each nation reviewed in Africa experienced declining conditions for Christians. The report attributed the persecution uh, on the uh, contingent uh, largely largely due to militant non-state actors. Basically, you're talking about various militia groups that were randomly traveling or tribal violence. So you had the militant non-state actors, so it's not the official government, and of course also Islamic extremism, citing specifically Boko Haram and the Islamic State West Africa province. Nigeria is reportedly on the brink of becoming a failed state due to due to a large number of kidnappings, attacks on churches, and priests being murdered. As for the Middle East, migration has threatened areas that the report described as the world's oldest and most important Christian communities located in Iraq, Syria, and Palestine. A little concerned when they use the term Palestine. I hope they mean it in a historical sense because there is no Palestinian nation at the moment, nor has there been for, well, we'll just say for a minute, shall we? In 2011, before the war began, 10% or approximately 1.5 million people in Syria were Christians. A decade later, there are 300,000 Christians. It's less than 2% of the population. One of the primary drivers for the persecution of Christians in Asia comes from authoritarianism. You know, the efforts from the states, the government themselves, these people harshly affecting nations like China, Vietnam, North Korea. In fact, quoting from the report, China continues, China continues, as I try to fight off a cough, I apologize. China continues to harass and attempt to control Christians and members of other religious groups that will not accept the official Communist Party line, making it unsurprising that in the Pew Forms, analysis authorities' restrictions on religion, it achieved the highest score of any nation-state. 
So the Pew Forum, as they were studying this, as they analyzed it, China is the biggest perpetrator, at least in Asia, based on this reason alone. Open Doors USA, a Christian organization committed to serving persecuted Christians, released a, quote, world watch list, and it does this annually. And every year it's outlining the top 50 countries where persecution of Christians is highest. According to the 2022 World Watch list, China ranks number 17 for Christian persecution. Number 17. That's actually much lower than I would have thought. In fact, I'm surprised they're surprised they're not number one, quite honestly. But anyway, China ranks number 17 for Christian persecution. Surveillance is a significant issue, allowing the state to monitor and close down churches, according to the organization. Source also told Open Doors that pastors and Christian leaders are simply snatched away, only to appear, to appear months later in a kind of house arrest, where they get re-educated. In Afghanistan, the country thrown into chaos last August, back when a certain Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. told the United States military that we are withdrawn, completed a rather hasty and, well, yeah, I already said chaotic, uh, didn't I? Um, hasty and what's another really good descriptor here that doesn't involve coarse language that will get me banned from radio rebroadcast. Um, hmm. Uh, let's say ill-determined. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, the Biden withdrawal that uh, ended with the collapse of the American-supported Afghan government. Persecution against Christians certainly continues to worsen there. No surprise, it's the Taliban crying out loud. Uh, this particular report also cites that the rise of the Taliban driving Christians underground where they live in fear of arrest, torture, and execution. Open Doors ranks Afghanistan number one on its watch list, listing Islamic oppression as the primary cause. So, in 2022, there were 360 million Christians living in places where they were at risk for high levels of discrimination and persecution. Again, that's according to Open Doors. Last year, 5,898 Christians were killed for the terrible, horrible, no-good crime of being a Christian. More than 5,000 churches, or Christian buildings were attacked, and 4,765 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned, all because they were Christian. That's it. Nothing else. No other reason. You guys believe in Jesus, and therefore you are dangerous. We can't have you uh, Jesus believers out there mucking things up for us authoritarians, after all. 
just it wouldn't be prudent. Can't allow it. We can't permit it. Not going. Not going to let it happen. Look, it's no surprise. Christians have been persecuted since the beginning, right? And we know this. Now, Jews are also heavily persecuted around the world. Anti-Semitism is and has been on the rise now for a couple of decades at least. Don't know that it ever really went away, but at least it kind of got swept up under the rug. Now it's back out in the open, and it's getting worse and worse, which is part of why I'm giving a big double thumbs up to Kevin McCarthy for threatening to remove Ilhan Omar from certain committee postings, and I would like to see the same thing happen with Rashida Tlaib for the exact same reason. But Christianity is also a group of people that is under fire. Christians, not only around the world, but in this country, have faced a certain level of persecution. But persecution that we face here is still, at least for the time being, nominal compared to what folks are seeing in other places around the world. Africa, the Middle East in particular. Asia is not much better. Like I said, I was surprised that China wasn't higher than 17. I really was. I still am. And I can buy into Afghanistan being number one. I still can't believe China all the way down at 17, regardless of the reason or rationale. It just doesn't seem right. Even when you factor in uh, that China is going after the Uyghur Muslims much harder than most other groups. They are the primary source of cheap labor, after all. A primary source, because they're in fact slaves, but uh, not the only source of cheap labor in China. They, they treat all their citizens that aren't part of the party as being little more than equipment to be used. The CCP, not a very good thing, boys and girls, and yet we can't convince the left of that. Certainly Certainly can't convince Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. of that, but then again, the checks have always cleared, haven't they, Joe? The bags of cash Hunter kept bringing you were always full, and, and it was always legit money. It wasn't even counterfeit, right, Joe? It's a, a pleasure and an honor, a distinct honor to do business with China because, well, for folks to call you Beijing Biden, well, that's a compliment as far as you're concerned, isn't it? <sighs> the, the Republicans can't take charge fast enough, cannot do the investigation into Hunter's business dealings and how compromised Joe Biden has been in the past. They can't do it fast enough. All right, let's, uh, let's slide into the break and... On the other side, let's talk about what happens when you're a good Samaritan in the United States. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Hello, America. This is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap Tap Into the Truth. Who 
says that government doesn't want to replace both God throughout society and parents in the lives of America's children. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. Once upon a time in the land called the United States of America, it was recognized that parents had a God-ordained right and authority to train up their children in the way that they should go so that they don't depart when they are older. Also, school teachers were expected and paid to teach the rigors of math, science, language, history, physical education, and reflect the high moral standards that were taught by parents and in churches. Of course, there were always those lurking about longing for the day to destroy our republic from within by dumbing down education and indoctrinating students into becoming useful idiot robots voluntarily helping to destroy our republic from within. Hmm. In recent years, jackbooted government enforcers have physically attacked parents for speaking out against replacing good education with smut. Parents in Dubornistan, Michigan, were recently told by school board president Roxanne McDonald their concerns don't matter. So now parents have retained the services of a reputable law firm and are taking the abusive Dubornistan, Michigan school board to court. I'm hoping and praying those parents are victorious. I'm Ron Edwards. Enjoy the Ron Edwards American Experience daily to find out where. Go to theronedwards.com. Being stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. The challenge we all have is that as you work and you grow in your career, you have to put something aside for yourself when you retire around 65 years old. And the idea of Beanstalks is to simplify that whole process. In other words, put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. Where have you always wanted to go? Chances are you've had a dream honeymoon destination in mind for years. What if we told you we could get you there? Later in April 2015, we got married in Nashville. So we were trying to figure out what registry to do and then heard about Honey Fund. So we put it on the website and lo and behold, one by one, all of our gifts were fulfilled. Even the fruity drinks for Carmen and the entire Honey Fund. With Honey Fund, the world's most trusted online wedding registry, your honeymoon is our business. With no platform fees, you can set up your custom cash-powered registry page quickly, easily, and budget-friendly. Despite the name, we offer more than just honeymoons. That's right, you can use Honey Fund for wedding funds, a home down payment, charity registry, or any savings goal. Whatever you need to start your marriage right, we're here to ensure your future is bright. We've helped more than a million couples just like you make their dreams come true. Here's how it all works. Step one, create. 
Using our design tools, you can create a custom Honey Fund page as unique as your love. Whether you create a wish list of experiences or choose a simple donation box, you'll get cash in your bank account for a small processing fee. You can also register for zero-fee gift cards from nearly 200 popular travel, dining, and shopping brands. Step 2. Share. Once you've completed your personal HoneyFund page, share the page with friends, family, and wedding guests. HoneyFund can be your main wedding webpage or link to a wedding website of your choice. And if you're ever stuck, our five-star customer service team can show you how. Step 3. Receive. With your unique link, your guests will be able to donate easily, eliminating the hassle of finding a gift and allowing you to take that trip, make that down payment, or do whatever else you've chosen to receive. Unlike other cash registry sites, there's never a fee to guests on HoneyFund. The best part? HoneyFund is free to try. So what are you waiting for? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Stop dreaming and start your forever journey by setting up your free cash-powered wedding registry today. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. That's right, Joe. We would be all just fine. All right. Yes, that's uh, that is correct, ladies and gentlemen. That is correct. All right. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much for listening. I am, of course, your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, and this is Tap into the Truth. I want to remind you again: if you are listening to the podcast, there will be links in the show description that will take you to. Great places like Bean Stops, so you can check it out for yourself and uh, go ahead and download the app and set yourself up in just a few minutes, as well as a link that will take you to the honeyfun.com. And from there, you can set up your uh, Honeyfun page. And uh, it, it is no coincidence that Honeyfun is the number one most trusted honeymoon registry currently out there. Even brides.com agrees. And, you know, I do hope that at some point, uh, if you end up having a fantastic wedding as a result of using Honey Fund as your registry, that uh, you'll at least send me an invite. Uh, 
don't worry, I'm probably not going to show up. Just uh, let me know if it's helped you out. I'd love to, love to know. All right, what do you say? We get back to business. I teased a story about a good Samaritan, a, a doer of good deeds, and the rewards you get in this great country of ours for doing exactly that. Except there's not a whole lot of reward for it. Uh, there's a story out of California that's making the rounds. This girl, she lost her eye. She lost her eye for standing up for somebody. And even after getting punched in the head and losing her right eye, Bianca Palomerto, she says that she wouldn't undo standing up against a man she saw bullying a special needs boy last weekend. It's taken nearly a week for this story to get out. Quoting Bianca, she said, quote, Deep down, there will always be a little regret, but I wouldn't take it back. This is a 19-year-old young lady. Palomero was working at her job as an assistant manager of a Habit Burger in Antioch, California. This happened over a week ago, last Saturday afternoon, when she noticed a man in the restaurant bullying a special needs teen. Quoting here, as uh, she was recounting the event, she said, I hear the threats going, him having a problem, saying, who are you looking at? Stop looking that way. So she stood up for the boy and confronted the tormentor. Said, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong. It's not right at all. He's special needs. He doesn't know what he's doing. Now, that seems a bit much, but this is what she said. She had uh, said to him. Her confrontation didn't back the man down at all. Instead, he escalated things. Surveillance video, which I have watched multiple surveillance videos of this incident now. They had two different cameras. And I also think it's kind of interesting what some of the other sites have done as far as they focus. But surveillance video shows the much larger man get right in her face. According to the news station, it said that he yelled slurs at her, which she has said that he was using slurs uh, at the special need uh, guy first. And then lots of racial slurs at her about uh, being Mexican, being beaners, things of that nature. In the video, it's pretty clear that uh, she jaws right back at him. She doesn't back down a bit. Then he landed a brutal punch right to her left cheek. She says in her speaking to the station that I didn't expect him to punch me at all. She briefly slumped uh, onto a chair and then stood back up and went after the attacker, but he swung harder and hit her apparently in the head. 
She believes that it was the second punch. That's the one that destroyed her right eye. But the station said she initially didn't even know how bad she was hurt. In fact, she said in a report afterwards that she thought she was just crying. It wasn't until a little later that she realized that it was blood falling down her face and onto her shirt. She said, quote, I just remember grabbing my eye. I thought I was crying at first, but then after I saw that I had blood dripping down my shirt, you know, down my cheek. Doctors, of course, performed a surgery on her eye, but they couldn't save it. Quoting her again, Sometimes I think it's all like a nightmare and try to open my eye, but regardless, I can't see anything. Now, Antioch police are investigating and trying to identify her attacker. He was last seen leaving the restaurant, along with the others, with their food in a BMW X3. Quoting here from this young lady's sister, said, we're very proud of her. She did the right thing. Her heart was there when she did it. Just that we feel like she's getting the short end of the stick. Palmera, again, still talking to the local TV station, said, quote, at the end of the day, if you won't do it, nobody else will. I felt like I had to step in. Now, I thought it was very interesting. All the coverage of the story, all of the coverage of the story, especially from the local California affiliates, none of them make mention of the fact that the majority of this group were African-American. These were black Americans. There's a black guy who was making wisecracks about the special needs guy, then was making wisecracks about this young lady being Mexican. They don't want to talk about that, that this is clearly a racial thing, and they don't want to let you know the racial context from which it's coming from. That part doesn't fit the narrative. That's why a lot of this news was left as local news. If it wasn't for conservative outlets trying to bring you this story about a young lady, and even then, the coverage has not been about the races involved. The coverage has been about the slurs that were thrown at her but I've yet to see the first person to actually mention to point out, hey, this guy that hit her, that took her eye, this guy is, as the left would prefer, we say, a person of color. Now, that part really shouldn't matter. And I wouldn't even point it out myself, except for the fact that I'm concerned if the media will not report this story and give you a reasonably good description to try to help the Antioch police track this person down and identify them, then how can you count on the system in Antioch, California, to follow through like they should, to prosecute this case like they should, uh, assuming, we all know what happens when you assume, but assuming 
but they actually do identify this guy and charge him and all the other things that should happen in this case. If color isn't supposed to matter when trying to find them, how much is color going to matter once they do? The intersectionality thing here falls apart again. And none of that should be the topic here. None of that should be the discussion. We should be in a system where this guy, regardless of who it is, committed a crime. And he clearly did. He escalated this. Now, I don't know exactly what she said. I don't know how wound, how woundly, how tightly wound this guy was that set him off. I, I don't know if maybe he wasn't engaging in partaking of illegal substances. There's no telling. And I, I'm not saying that to speculate. And I'm not saying that to try to, to paint a, a terrible picture here. I'm saying it because there has to be some explanation as to why this guy would suddenly punch this young lady who, in comparison, when they were standing face-to-face, -face, looked like a little girl in comparison. Why would you punch this girl, this young lady, period? There's got to be an explanation. There has to be. And I'm sorry, but even if she was being uber super mouthy and, and being mean and maybe even got to a point where most people would have really been pushing their patience not to, you still have to do that. You don't just start punching people, especially women. When you're a guy, you don't go around punching women. I don't care the circumstance. There are very few, if any, circumstances where it's legitimate and okay for you to do that. And it had better be a situation where they have uh, several heavy weapons and they are using them on you and you have no choice but to defend yourself. That's not what happened here. If you haven't seen the footage, it's out there. Go look for it. It's easy enough to look. It's pretty clear. She wasn't backing down. She was up in his face. And I might have been willing to forgive not knowing what was actually being said, shoving her back a little bit, giving yourself some room and then leaving. But even then, that's not an okay thing. It's, it's just not. And I, and I don't want to sound like I'm giving the green light to that either, but there are circumstances where... You're put in that situation, and you have little option but to create some space so that you can leave. That's not what happened here. In fact, they didn't even leave after the second punch, not at first. Dude was throwing some stuff, knocking some stuff around, and then they realized somebody else in the back was calling the cops. Then they all uh, jetted out of there. But they did manage to get their food first, though, so, you know, the service still seemed to be pretty good. It's pretty clear from the extended footage that dude was given a hard time with the special needs guy. And she clearly was intervening. I don't know what she said. I certainly don't think that it's anything that goes over the top. 
but it is it's beyond criminal that this is the kind of thing that happens in our country now. I mean, if you didn't know that this guy was special needs and you thought he was eyeballing you, and again, makes me think that there's some level of paranoia and that's not common outside of some type of usage of controlled substances. But this, again, purely speculation and purely just an effort to try and to come up with some explanation that might make some sense of what occurred here. This young lady has now lost her right eye. She lost her eye for doing the right thing, and so far, I haven't come across any information. To the contrary, the community hasn't exactly rallied around her to try and bring her attacker to justice. There has been uh, money raised on her behalf to help pay for the surgeries. I believe they were in excess of $30,000 having been raised for her. And that's great. That's really good. And hopefully, now that this story is getting some national attention, and she'll get a little more support. It's just... We spend so much time here talking about the political, and we keep pointing to societal woes and conditions and disconnects as being part of the reason why our politics have gotten so bad. But politics is always downstream of culture. That's why we really have to stop surrendering in the culture war. That's why we need to fight the culture war. That's why we need to move forward with companies like The Blaze and companies like Daily Wire and their efforts to not just bring you conservative opinion with the facts, but to also try to win the culture. I mean, the stuff that they're doing over at Daily Wire is phenomenal. They're not the only ones, but they're probably doing the best overall job right now. No, maybe that's just Ben Shapiro hypnotizing me. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what Ilhan would try to say. Oh, you're letting them hypnotize you. No. No, they're doing a phenomenal job of trying to win back the culture with good, solid, conservative values. But we are still not winning this fight. And part of the reason we're not winning is because so few of us are actually in this fight. So few of us are really standing up. How many of you right now can say and and honestly mean that you've been defending preborn baby humans from their murders? How many of you can say that you've been demanding from your elected officials some semblance of fiscal responsibility? How many of you have been standing up and saying publicly that we need a solid, well-defined, and defended border, that we need an immigration policy that makes sense, that we need to not allow people that are mentally impaired, 
either due to medical conditions or simply senility, to hold important elected offices. How many of you are doing this in a meaningful fashion? How many of you are doing it at all? And just doing a few keyboard warrior things here and there on a social media platform, unless you're duking it out with some of the blue check marks over on Twitter, you're probably talking to the echo chamber. I, unfortunately, that's all I've been limited to over at Meta. And it's not from my doing. I'm posting stuff, but I've slowed down on posting my own stuff there because almost nobody's seen it. I've been ratioed down, shadow banned to such a degree, throttled back, I think is the term over on Facebook, that a lot of my posts, despite me having thousands of people on the friend list, a lot of my posts have single-digit interactions. If I post it from uh, the, the Tap Into the Truth page and then reshare it on my personal, I still get the information as far as the interactions, the likes, the messages, and all that. I get more of the analytics information uh, on the Tap Into the Truth page. But I'm getting information that says three people sometimes are all that's seen some of my posts. If I have thousands of people on my friends list, where a good number of them are people that have somehow been involved with the show, why are only three people seeing this? Why is the algorithm preventing more people from seeing it? There's not another explanation. Now, you tell me, what what are we doing? How are we stepping up to try to make sure that people like this young man that took a swing and then took a second swing at this young woman for the terrible, horrible, no good crime of standing up for a special needs person, what are we doing to make sure this guy knows that that's just wrong? Where is the moral accountability? Where is accountability at all? I sat down and started writing a piece that I have not finished. I uh, started writing it the other day, and it's more of amusing. I, I may offer it up for publication in a few places if I feel like it's worthy, but it's kind of more of a blog post that I was probably just going to put up to tap into the truth. I may just publish it over at Locals uh, <laughs> when I get around to finishing it. But it was basically talking about the definition between freedom and liberty and how liberty is freedom with personal responsibility. And how our system has been working now that the political left in particular has been working really hard to eliminate the idea, the very notion, the very concept of personal responsibility, period. Just do away with it. Because they know that freedom without personal responsibility inevitably, inevitably becomes anarchy. And anarchy leads to frightened people that are willing to give up their freedoms in exchange for the illusion of security. 
please, government, make us safe. And there's very little thought put into the process that the threats that you are afraid of, the anarchy that has been created, was in fact created by that same government, by virtue of helping promote the ideology of ending personal responsibility. We don't hold people accountable like we should, whether we're talking about elected officials or whether we're talking about criminals, or even if we're just talking about kids participating in sports, because make no mistake about it, the whole participation trophy movement is just another part of the greater effort to eliminate personal responsibility. Well, how is that, Tim? Well, it's pretty simple. Really? When you tell somebody that, here, you can have a trophy. Here's your reward for just showing up. That's all you have to do to earn praise. You don't actually have to be responsible for working really hard and getting better at whatever it is you're doing. You don't have to take responsibility for actually contributing to a winning effort. In fact, you don't even have to win. You shouldn't even be trying to win. That is personal responsibility being attacked as much as it is any other basic concept. You know, like being judged and evaluated on merit as opposed to eh, the color of your skin, some privileged protected group you might identify as part of. It's, it seems to me that if we really want to start bringing our republic back to its former glory, you know, continue to move forward and improve, continue to get better, continue to treat people as they should be, continue to include everyone as part of the protected class instead of just having certain people protected, to become colorblind, to no longer practice or engage in racism in any form. If we want to do those things, we still have to start with accountability. And we have to have that accountability in every aspect of our lives. And we should be holding ourselves accountable first. Are we doing enough? What are we doing? How do we do more if we're not doing enough? And how do we prioritize where we start and what we're doing the most? These are things that are important. I mean, we can't go around acting like Paul Ryan. The former Speaker of the House, although he claimed he never wanted to be. A man who was good on numbers and fiscal things, but was never really good at other conservative ideas. He's now coming out and he's calling himself a never-again Trumper. He's trying to put a lot of the blame on the GOP's lackluster performance in the midterms squarely on Donald Trump. Uh, he's not the only person doing this, but he's just the latest person with GOP bona fides to step up and do so. I'm a never-again Trumper. I, 
I wasn't a never-Trumper, but I'm a never-again-Trumper now. Well, what's the level of responsibility there? What are you really saying, Paul? Now, who's even going to hold you accountable at this point? I mean, it's entirely possible. Maybe he honestly believes Donald Trump's part of the problem, because maybe he is still too busy hobnobbing with the former in-the-beltway folks that he used to hang with, that he doesn't realize that, you know what, there is a reality separate than what exists inside the beltway. It's not until you go out into flyover country that you really discover exactly how this plays out. If you believe that Donald Trump led a dangerous insurrection on January 6th, then I'm probably not going to be able to convince you otherwise, because there's already a ton of evidence out there that suggests that that's not a correct assessment. What are you talking about, Tim? It's clear. It's obvious. It's obvious these people are full of bovine excrement. question still circles back around to personal responsibility. Now, is there things Donald Trump should have done differently on that day? Sure. Sure. I, I've never suggested otherwise. But is he personally responsible for events that are highly questionable and highly suspect at best? Well, I don't think so. But then I'm going to be accused of being an enemy of the state just by making the statement that there were events that occurred then that were highly suspect. Again, you know, being an American citizen who has questions and would like to ask them and would actually prefer to have some answers, not, not canned responses, not scripted things to say in response, but actual answers. I'd like to have them. would like to know the truth. Even if it's not what I want to know, if it's not what I want to hear, but as long as it's true and can be confirmed that it's true, then okay, let me know. Let's move forward. Let's move on. But if we really want liberty restored, and that should be the goal of every American citizen, not just for America, but for our allies as well, and how I will extend it to the whole rest of the world, I would love for there to be an actual liberty movement that goes worldwide. I know CCP is not going to allow it. I know that there are several African nations that are not going to allow it. And several organizations like Boko Haram and ISIS and, well, the Taliban, they're never going to allow freedom as long as they exist. But I would still love for it to just sweep the world. Love for Iran to be free again. But before any of us can see that happen, we've got to get back the personal responsibility as much as anything else. That's going to have to be it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for staying with me till the end. As always, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. And most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth, please visit my friend Ron Edwards over at theronedwards.com. Also, visit uh, Ken Crow at conservative 
dailybriefing.com and check out Matt Fitzgibbons over at patriotmusic.com and don't forget to visit the other links that's going to be in the show description. I would really appreciate it if you did. And uh, yeah, uh, one last message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. before I go. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, let's go. in both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Mao, me and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family using both hands. Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.